If you're curious to engage with a lot of the topics we explore on the podcast in more creative and embodied ways, we welcome you to join us in Alchemize, our 10-week audio-based program of daily imagination practices intended to disrupt status quo ways of thinking, sensing, relating, and being. To be honest, without any grant support for our show right now, and we did just get turned down by several mainstream environmentalism philanthropies, this program and our Patreon are our primary means of supporting our labor for these free podcasts right now. We really want to remain untethered to corporate interests, and every small contribution to our Patreon or enrollment in our program Alchemize helps to ensure that we can continue producing these vital conversations that feature voices and perspectives often sidelined from mainstream media. So if you value our work and want to dive deeper with us, join us in Alchemize today at greendreamer.com slash alchemize and join our Patreon starting at just $3 at patreon.com slash greendreamer. Thank you so, so much for however you were able to support our work during these critical times. We are so deeply grateful. Trust is something that, you know, 20 years ago, nobody thought about trusting a company they bought things from. And today, I think consumers look to trust companies on so many different fronts. What do we know about how the chemicals and dyes used to treat our clothing impact our health? How can we pick apart brands that may be greenwashing, meaning saying they're sustainable or eco-friendly just as a selling point, even though they're not really doing anything about it? Uh, how do we pick apart these brands from the brands that actually are trying to do what they can to improve? That's just the tip of the iceberg of what you'll hear today. If you're not already signed up to our weekly newsletter with highlights from the podcast, you can do so at greendreamer.com. And with that, you'll also be automatically entered to win our monthly giveaways. I'll share more information on that in our upcoming email. So don't miss out, greendreamer.com to sign up. And for now to our episode, let's dive in. Hey, it's Kamea Shane, and this is Green Dreamer, a podcast for creatives, visionaries, and entrepreneurs dreaming of a sustainable future. Thank you for bringing your light. If you haven't already, make sure to hit subscribe, and together, let's learn what it takes to thrive in every sense of the word. Our guest today is the VP of Product Development at Bolt Threads, which is a company using technology, science, bioengineering, and innovation to create high-performance, sustainable fabrics like spider silk and mushroom leather. The company is led by world-class scientific and engineering talent and experienced executives from the tech and apparel industries, including our guest today, who you'll hear from soon. Before working at Bolt Threads, she founded Now Clothing, which is a brand focused on sustainable textile and manufacturing, and she's also worked on R&D, research and development, and innovation for Nike and Patagonia. She's a wealth of knowledge on the chemistry of making clothing, and you're going to learn some very interesting insights from her. Green Dreamer, starting with what inspired her passion for the environment, here's Jamie Bainbridge. I went to school in environmental studies and ended up getting a degree in forestry, but always had this passion for sort of whole living systems and what it takes to support them on this planet. Mm -hmm. 
And how did fashion come into this picture? Uh, fashion is what I did uh, to put myself through school, and it's what I ended up getting a job in because uh, the jobs in the field at that point in time were really all government jobs, and they really just weren't me. Mm-hmm. So when you first went into fashion, were you already connecting the dots between sustainability and fashion, or when did these two things get bridged? No, that was quite a while later, actually. Um, I worked for Nike for many years, and at Nike, one of the things that we took on very early on in this movement was a move to try and support the growth of the organic cotton market. And we did that by founding a group that was originally called uh, the Organic Cotton Exchange, Mm -hmm. and then later became the Textile Exchange. And we were trying to support the supply chain for organic cotton farmers so that they could find a market for their product. And Mm -hmm. Nike did that by blending organic cotton into our t-shirts. Oh, so Nike sometimes gets a bad rep for just being a mass, like they mass produce a lot of clothing, but they're also doing a lot of things to support this organic market. They do some of the best work in sustainability uh, of any consumer product company I know. Mm. So you were at Nike, and then what did your professional journey look like that led you to working at uh, Bolt Threads? Well, after sometime after Nike, I started a small fashion company in Portland, Oregon called Now, spelled N-A-U. And we started that company specifically to try to use more sustainable textiles and production methods to make apparel. And so that was a really interesting journey. It was at the beginning of the sustainable textile market. And we had very little to work with, uh, but we really got a long way in trying to start changing the textile production uh, supply chain globally uh, to be a cleaner supply chain. Mm -hmm. And and, uh, then uh, an old friend of mine from my Nike days called me and said, we'd like you to come to work at Bolt and... uh, Yeah, that's how I got here. Yeah. So I feel like oftentimes when we think of fashion from the consumer standpoint, we don't really think about scientists and engineering because consumers just pick the styles that they like. So for those of us that don't really understand what science has to do with fashion, can you walk us through what your scientists, engineers, and apparel experts do for fashion? Well, I think here at Bolt Threads, uh, we're in a very unusual position in that we, we actually start designing from the molecule forward. This means that we can engineer in the traits of the fiber that we want to make, and we can make a product that is designed all the way from the very beginning uh, through to the consumer. And that's a very, very unusual thing. So we have a team of biologists. We have a team of people that spin our fiber. And then we go out into our supply chain to get it made into textiles from there. So it's, a, it's an unusual story for the textile business. 
this was founded by three guys who were all doing their PhD work here in the Bay Area. And the, each of them had a little piece of a puzzle that they wanted to try to solve to take on one of the kind of classic problems of bioengineering, which was to produce spider silk. Um, spider silk has quite a legendary following and in bioengineering, it was one of the classic problems. So they took on trying to solve that problem and left graduate school and started this company and are some of the, we're one of the very few companies that's been able to take a bioengineered product all the way to scale. In other words, to make big quantities of it. This is so hard for me to wrap my head around. How does one take the DNA of spider silk and reproduce that? Can you walk us through like how this happens? Yeah. Um, in, in very, uh, with a very short story, we take yeast and sugar and water and we ferment it and the yeast produces silk for us. Hmm. So to add a little bit of detail to that, we engineer DNA and input it into the yeast and that gives the yeast basically a recipe for what we want the yeast to produce. So if you think about other products that are made this way, um, this is the same way beer is made, right? You take yeast and sugar and water and some other things. And in that case, the yeast produces alcohol. In our case, we're asking the yeast to produce silk molecules. Okay. That's amazing. <laughs> amazing. So what we get out the other end is a powder, and that powder is pure silk protein. And we take that powder then, and we put it into a solution, and we extrude it through a thing that's like a pasta maker, um, like you'd make spaghetti, and that makes fiber. And then that fiber gets made into yarn, and the yarn into textiles. So there's no spiders involved because I'm really scared of spiders. There's <laughs> not a single spider in our building. <laughs> That's awesome. So Bolt Threads is really a pioneer in the sense that its goal is to really break away from the ways that we have been doing things to innovating new and more sustainable solutions to making textiles. What do you think has been its biggest challenge so far as a pioneer? Oh, I think the biggest challenge has been trying to take this to scale. Every time you take something from, you know, the size of a test tube up to the next scale and the next scale and the next scale, you encounter different problems at each step along the way. And so scaling a material like this is, is quite, quite a project. Mm. Is it possible? Yes, absolutely. We're almost there. I was going to say, when we think about any type of natural fiber grown in nature, even if they're considered eco-friendly, like organic cotton, hemp, or tensile from eucalyptus, I feel like there's still a maximum capacity to that, because if we demand too much of any material from nature, that becomes unsustainable, because growing too many of one thing doesn't really promote biodiversity. So is there the same issue in lab-grown products, or... Uh, is this something that, when scaled, won't really have an impact on the environment? It will have impact. Everything has an impact that you make. We have yet to be able to quantify those impacts because we haven't completely finished building our process yet. 
But the impacts from what we're going to do are very different from something that is grown by through an agricultural method. So the way that I think about our product process in terms of its sustainable aspects are that we make this product entirely from renewable inputs. You can make endless quantities of yeast. Uh, we use sugar and we can use a variety of sugars to make the product and water, which we can clean after making the product. So we use all renewable inputs. We then put those inputs into what we called a closed loop chemical system. Uh, what that means is that any chemistry that is used in making our product, if it doesn't go into the product, we would pull it back out again and reuse it once more. It's called a closed loop production system. So we have very tight controls on the chemistry that's used. The third uh, really interesting attribute of this uh, particular fiber is that because we can design the molecule from the beginning, we can design in the traits that we want the fiber to have. So when you have a fiber like polyester, let's say, and polyester is made of, of petrochemical plastic, and so it doesn't breathe very well but you want that fiber to be a performance fiber, so you need to make it wick. What you need to do in today's conventional textile system is that you need to add chemistry to that polyester to make it wick. And so what most consumers don't know is that lots and lots of chemistry is added to fabrics as you finish those fabrics in order to give them the attributes that the consumer wants. We can design those same attributes into our fiber so that, number one, we don't have to use a lot of excess chemistry. And number two, that chemistry is never going to wash off as you wash and wear the product. So that's a huge step forward in, in my mind. Yeah, I was going to ask you in my next question, what do you think has been one of Bolt Thread's biggest breakthroughs? And that sounds like a huge breakthrough because sometimes the chemicals that are used to finish other types of fabrics aren't very healthy for the wares or for the environment. No, no. And they end up in our water systems. They end up on people's skin. They have lots of unintended consequences that we don't even know about yet. From what you do know, um, what are some of the health impacts of the chemicals used a lot in mass-produced clothing? Oh, there's there's quite a range. Um, <laughs> you know, we have seen uh, persistent chemistries like those used in water repellent treatments in rainwear. Um, those chemistries are are persistent in the environment for hundreds of millions of years and uh, they just don't break down. Um, we've also seen uh, fire retardants that are used in children's sleepwear, in upholstery. Um, those have big health impacts and are now being legislated against. Some of the dyes that were used in clothing a few years ago were quite toxic to humans. Those are now being outlawed in a number of countries and so they're not being used widely any longer. But then, you know, just uh, simple things like, like wicking technologies, these, these are things that we don't really understand the impacts of yet, 
yet they get washed down the drains of our washing machines every day, along with all the pieces of, of plastic fiber that get washed down our, our drains. Mm. So do you think all of this happened because we started using these chemicals for their functionalities without fully understanding their impacts first? Absolutely. Absolutely. We're, we're a society of uh, use it now and ask forgiveness later. Um, mm. And uh, very little is known about the chemicals that we use in our daily lives. Uh, only a very small percentage of them have ever been studied. Yeah. So we're kind of taking an innocent until proven guilty approach. But sometimes yeah. when we prove something to be harmful, it might already be too late in some ways. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Well, so for us as consumers, is there anything we can do to help make sure that the clothes that we wear have um, don't have these toxic chemicals in them? I think buying apparel from companies that you trust is the best indicator that you're doing the right thing. There are a number of companies out there who are doing really good work in this space, and some of them are very large companies. Uh, it doesn't have to be all of the little tiny niche um, brands. Um, some of the some of the bigger companies are doing excellent work. Mm -hmm. What are some of your favorite companies? <laughs> oh, I think um, well, as we talked about before, I think Nike does excellent work in this space. Um, obviously, Patagonia is well known for their work in the space as well. And then there are some people like Levi's. Uh, Levi's has done amazing work in the field of. Uh, reducing the water that's used to make denim, reducing the toxicity of dyes that are used to make denim. Those are some of some of my favorite ones. For sure. And so you've been in this industry for quite some time now. What has been one of your personal biggest challenges helping to support this sustainable fashion movement? I would say that getting a uh, all getting a, a large portion of the brands across the world to be speaking the same language and using the same testing protocols so that we can begin to really understand apples to apples what our impacts are uh, has been the biggest challenge and we're making good headway on it uh, but you know we need we need everybody to be on the same bus so there are a number of tools out there for people to assess the impacts of their products. And uh, none of those tools are saying exactly the same thing. And so sometimes it's hard to, to do an apples to apples comparison. Mm. So how can we get more companies around the world to be using the same assessment? I'm not sure I have a good answer to that. You know, there are some tools that are in good wide use now, and that's really helping. Uh, it's also helping the supply chain to really understand the language that we're trying to speak. And once we can get the brands and the whole supply chain looking at information through the same lens, we have a we have a really good thing going. For sure. And just thinking about the sustainability of fashion in general, uh, I know that consumers, businesses, policy, everybody has a role to play, but is there one that you feel like can be most powerful in driving change? Right now, the change driver is in the hands of the brands. They're the ones that are putting the pressure backwards into the supply chain and then trying their best to inform the consumer. The consumer can vote with their dollars, and I think they should. Uh, 
the brands can put pressure on the supply chain and uh, they are doing that. So for consumers, sometimes it's really overwhelming because we think about a brand, but then there's like the supply chain can be really complex and consumers don't necessarily feel like they have the power to control what happens behind the scenes. So it sounds like just supporting brands that we trust and then hoping that they will also send that backwards to pressure other players in the supply chain is what we need. Exactly. I think trust is something that, you know, 20 years ago, nobody thought about trusting a company they bought things from. And today, I think consumers look to trust companies on so many different fronts. And this is a big piece of that picture of trust. For sure. And also in sustainability, there's also the issue of greenwashing. So how how do you think we can pick apart companies that greenwash and kind of abuse our trust or support for sustainability with ones that are actually doing the work? Oh, very good question. Uh, <laughs> I think you have to look for companies that are really transparent with the information that supports what they're saying. So if a company says, we only work with factories that pay people really well, if they won't give you in for any information behind that and tell you who their factories are and the working conditions of that factory, or that they certify that factory through a nonprofit uh, third party that certifies those labor standards, then I don't know that you can trust them. So I think that brands that are getting the recognition from consumers are the ones who will tell that consumer the real story about what's going on. Mm -hmm. Things like the footprint chronicles that Patagonia uh, produces on their website that, that tells you the, the journey that a product makes as it comes into the consumer's hands and how those members of the supply chain are uh, regulated is it's an amazing piece of work that they've done. For sure. So a lot of companies have uh, pages on their website that's dedicated to corporate social responsibility, but looking for concrete information is really uh, what can help us pick apart these companies that are just saying that they're sustainable with the ones that actually are trying and doing the work. Exactly. And I, I would encourage consumers to write to companies and ask for that information. Mm. For sure. We will definitely work on that as well. And taking another step back, what do you think we need most beyond fashion to accelerate towards a thriving planet? Innovation. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I think we need innovative solutions to the problems that we've already caused. Some of these problems feel like they're irreversible at this point. I think, especially for those of us living on the West Coast of the United States this summer, um, we feel like it's too late. You know, our, uh, the, the fires that are burning in the, on the West Coast are such a huge example of what climate change is doing to us. Um, and so we need innovation around these problems. Mm -hmm. And sometimes when thinking about these large scale issues, I feel like it can be really overwhelming and sometimes depressing. So what would your p biggest piece of guidance be for people to know that there's hope and with innovation, we can take this forward and actually make a difference. 
I think people need to bite off small chunks at a time and not get overwhelmed. Um, sustainability is, I think, a very confusing subject to most consumers. And so bite off something, some piece of it that you're interested in and investigate it and figure out what you can personally do, uh, whether that's writing a letter to the brand that you're, you're thinking of buying from, writing to your legislator, uh, supporting a Kickstarter campaign, uh, anything like that mm-hmm. is, is uh, it, it all adds up. I used to have to answer those consumer letters uh, for a brand, and I know what it's like. Yeah. What was it like for you to receive those letters? Some of them bring up really, really good questions, and they bring up questions often that we hadn't thought about. Uh, and so, you know, we were a very small brand, so we had the ability to interact one-on-one with those consumers and uh, engage them in a conversation about it and some really interesting things came out of that. For sure. Well, so coming back to Bolt Threads, what's something that you guys are working on that we can look forward to and support? Well, uh, on the 5th of September, we're going to have a Kickstarter campaign. Uh, We're bringing a bag to market, which is our first product made of a new material called Milo. This material is made from the mycelium of of a mushroom. Mycelium are like the roots of a mushroom. And it's an amazing material. It feels most like leather. It behaves a lot like leather. And uh, it's a really, really exciting project for us. It'll be the first thing of its kind on the market. That's amazing. So where can we go to follow this project and follow you on social media and online? This project will be on Kickstarter. Uh, Look for bolt threads on Kickstarter and you'll find it on September 5th. People can follow us at boltthreads.com and we're also on social media on Instagram and Twitter. So if you follow me on Instagram, you likely already know that I'm in the process of making 2019 eco planners for you. It is my first time doing this, so I'm learning as I go. Uh, So far, I know that I'll be including all of our major environmental awareness days in the calendars, in addition to the normal holidays. Hopefully, this can help us stay on top of our game in terms of starting conversations and participating in these awareness days next year. So I'm really excited about that. I'm also still brainstorming ideas and finalizing the cover designs, so if there's anything else you'd like to see in your ideal planner, make sure to let me know through a direct message on Instagram, at Shane because I really want for this to be a practical and helpful tool for you if you do use physical planners and would be interested. Thank you in advance for your input, I look forward to learning from you, and for now, to our final five, let's power through. What's one inspiring publication or social media account you follow? I follow the Ellen Ellen MacArthur Foundation pretty closely. Ellen MacArthur Foundation is involved in the notion of the circular economy, uh, and especially as in regards to fashion. And I think they do an amazing job of really expanding this notion of what circular means in our economy to a wider definition than just taking your clothes to goodwill when you're tired of them and letting somebody else buy them. 
Mm-hmm. What do you tell yourself to stay inspired and positive? Uh, I read a lot and I talk to my colleagues in this field. Um, if we didn't have each other and we didn't trade ideas back and forth, I think we would all lose our positive outlook on what's what's happening right now. Mm-hmm. What's one thing you do for your health, either daily or weekly? I ride my bike to and from work every day. <laughs> uh, what's one simple thing we can do for our planet's health this week? Don't take any single-use plastic of any kind. And what makes you most hopeful for our planet right now? The state of California and the stance it takes on legislation. And what final words of wisdom do you have for us as green dreamers? That innovation is the way forward. Innovation is the solution to the problems that we already have. And support it wherever you can. Support innovation wherever you can. Green Dreamer, thank you so much for tuning in. You can find the two tweetable key takeaways from this interview, as well as links and resources at greendreamer.com slash 62 for episode 62. You can reach me with feedback on how I can improve the show for you through the website's contact page. And again, you can follow me on Instagram at Kamea Shane. And finally, just remember, now more than ever, our planet needs your light to thrive. So if you haven't yet, hit subscribe and I will catch you later, Green Dreamer.